Hey guys, good morning. How are you? Good. For those of you who don't know, my name is Jason Coker. I'm the co-minister here along with Janelle uh, and also uh, Joey on staff, our music minister. Thank you, Joey. Um, by the way, just a fun little story. Uh, last week we had uh, a guest uh, worship leader, Eric uh, Lodge, who came and led worship for us while Joey was out of town and partly visiting family. And uh, Eric, when he left here, he said he was going on his own trip. And I was like, hey, where are you going? He said, oh, I'm going to Bahrain. And I was like, Bahrain, that's, that's uh, you know, random. And I said, you know, it's funny is there, we have members of our church who are in Bahrain on the, on the army, not the army base, but the military base there. Uh, one of our members, Travis Arms, is a, a military chaplain. And so he's stationed on Bahrain. And Eric said, oh, I'm going to lead worship at the chapel service in Bahrain. So, so the arms, who are members of this church from Bahrain, mind you, got to hang out with Eric last week and play music together. And then uh, crossways, like while they were traveling, Eric and Joey met at the Atlanta airport no. and had like a little meeting. Uh, and then I just found out this morning that Dylan... Dylan, who played guitar for us today, is going to be, his heavy metal band is going to be playing at a heavy, heavy metal festival in Germany next week. So like our musicians at Oceanside Sanctuary are global, you guys. They're global. All right. Well, so we're going to continue our teaching series, which we're calling Reconstructing Faith. A lot of folks who are part of our congregation are people who have been through big changes in their faith, and this is true for me as well, and I'm sure for many of you. And so what we've been asking is, what are some of those things that we need to rethink or relearn as our beliefs and our ideas about God are changing and evolving? And what are those things that maybe have been giving us trouble? So we've been talking about some of those subjects, and this week we want to talk about Scripture. We want to talk about the Bible. What do we do with the Bible when our, our beliefs that we were given as we were raised in maybe more uh, strict or fundamentalist expressions of Christianity gave us a, a certain view of Scripture, and then that view of Scripture became difficult for us or maybe even traumatic or harmful, and so we walked away from reading Scripture and didn't quite know what to do with it, didn't quite know what to make of it. So I want to address that topic today. And before I do, I just want to say this is a big, big subject. And so this could easily be its own teaching series. And in fact, we have a six-week class that we run every spring here at Oceanside Sanctuary called How Not to Read the Bible. Some of you have been in that class before, and I essentially unpack a lot of what I'm going to be touching on today. So today you're going to get like a mini version of that course, which is a lot to ask somebody like me to do all of that in 20 minutes or less. So now would be a good time for you to pray for me and with me. God, we thank you for today, for this opportunity for us to gather on this corner of Freeman and Topeka where people have gathered uh, every week since 1927 and before that, uh, all the way back to 1875, we're mindful that this is church that stands rooted in a long tradition of faith, a long tradition of service to this community. And so much of that tradition is built on the inspiration of Scripture, the words that we read in these pages that uh, confront us and impact us 
and challenge us and stretch our hearts and our minds to grow and to, to change and evolve into the people you've called us to be. So we ask that you would do that for us even today, that these words would stretch and grow us and that we would experience that as freedom, not as bondage. And so as we read through these words, Lord, pour out your grace on us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26 today, as all, or 21-22 is going to be up on the screen, but I'm going to go a little bit farther past that. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn there, otherwise you can read the passages that are up on the screen as I go through them. Matthew chapter 5, of course, is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So for those of you who might not know this, it's generally believed that Jesus, when he went about his ministry, that he essentially preached the same message every, everywhere he went, sort of over and over again. And that the Sermon on the Mount, what we see in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, is essentially Jesus' sermon. It's the heart of his teaching. And so if the Bible, for us as Christians, is if the Bible is our record of our tradition, and sort of the heart of our tradition as Christians is the New Testament, right? then within that New Testament, you might say that the heart of our tradition is the Gospels, which are the story of Jesus' life and ministry. And even within those Gospels, there's a kind of canon or a sort of scripture within scripture. And that canon, that scripture within scripture of the Gospels, really is the Sermon on the Mount. It's these three chapters. If you want to know who Jesus was, what Jesus stood for, then scholarly consensus is that these chapters in Matthew represent the heart of Jesus' teaching. And so within that, in Matthew chapter 5, we come across this sort of curious pattern. And the first example of it we see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, that is, you insult somebody in that way, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Some of your Bibles might say Gehenna, which is an actual place. And I'm going to read a little further here. Verse 23. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and quickly offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on your way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, this is Jesus' first uh, installment in what has later been called the Six Antitheses, of Jesus's teachings. These are those six chunks of the Sermon on the Mount where he begins with this familiar phrase, you have heard that it was said, and then he fills in the blank, and then he follows that up with, but I say to you. And that's called an antithesis because Jesus is engaging in a very familiar pattern of teaching where there is a thesis, something that people have asserted to be true, and then somebody comes along and offers an alternative perspective called an antithesis, right? And in kind of dialectical teaching, you would expect there to be a synthesis, right? That out of those two perspectives, there might come a kind of understanding. Jesus is engaged in that exact same pattern here. 
But before we jump into that, I want to point out that there are different ways that you could hear these passages. In fact, there are a million ways to slice scripture, to examine it, to analyze it, to understand it. But I want to offer you two possibilities. And these are sort of caricatures, but I think they can be helpful. The first is, you might hear these verses that I read to you. You have heard that it was said that in those ancient times you shall not murder. But I say, if you are angry with a brother or sister, then you have committed murder in your heart. One way to hear that passage is through the voice of judgment. The voice of judgment who sort of looms over your mind. And as you hear those passages, you read it and you think to yourself, oh, no. Like, I'm angry all the time. Does that mean that, God, you view me as a murderer, that in some way I am liable to burn in hell for all of eternity because I have broken this new set of laws? Jesus, in other words, is meaner than Moses, right? Because Moses said, don't murder. Murdering is bad, but along comes Jesus and says, hey, listen, maybe you haven't murdered, but if you're angry, then you're just as guilty. When we hear scripture in the voice of judgment like that, when we hear it as though it is God's voice booming from heaven, telling us what we can and cannot do, it becomes oppressive. For many people, it becomes downright damaging. Because the truth is this, the truth is we can't control what pops into our heads. We can't control the emotional responses that we have in life. And because we can't directly control every thought that pops into our heads and every emotion that we have, when we hear these words as the voice of judgment, then it produces fear in us that we are wrong with God, that God is displeased with us, angry with us, liable to judge us. And so what do we do with these thoughts and feelings that we can't control? We repress them. We shove them as far down as they will go, as deep into our subconscious as we can push them. And here's what we know about repression. When you repress your anger, when you repress your fear, when you repress your desires because you're afraid of them, they don't go away. Instead, they sort of fester in the dark. And in that festering, they become even more damaging and destructive to us. And eventually, those things will leak out. They will come out of you. They'll come out of you in the worst possible moments. When you're having some tension with your partner, or some tense tension with your employer, or some tension with your kids, or tension with a coworker, or, or somebody in the community, and suddenly all that fear and anger and frustration pours out of you that you have been hiding for so long. Or it drives you to escape in ways that are really damaging and destructive. In other words, when we repress those things, it leads to real psychological harm and it leads to real susceptibility to abuse. This is the other problem. When you hear scripture in this way as the voice of judgment is something that you must obey, then it puts you in a relationship of dependency with an authority figure like me who interprets these things for you. And that person then can easily manipulate you 
and judge you and abuse you and harm you. This whole thing is a kind of vicious cycle. And what I want to say to you that some of you might have a hard time with, but I think is true, is that because of this, this book that we hold to be so dear in the Christian tradition, this collection of poems and stories and letters, this beautiful collection makes for a very good servant and a very poor master. And for many of us, this was our master. Somebody who looked a lot like me told you that every word in this book is God's word directly for you, that you must obey it, that you must live by it. And so much of that really just doesn't make sense. So instead, I want to suggest that another way for you to hear these words, instead of in the voice of judgment, is to hear these words of Jesus as the voices of wisdom. Because the reality, of course, is that the Bible doesn't just contain one voice. The Bible is a collection. It is a portable library of dozens of ancient authors who come from multiple cultural backgrounds, who have a wide variety of perspectives on God. So Jesus engages in this sort of dialogue, this discourse that we see in Scripture of multiple voices who bring their perspectives on God to the table. Jesus jumps in and he observes that there is something deeper about this law of murder that we maybe have missed. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said in ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to, the, to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. Where does violence come from? What brings us to the place where we're willing to say to somebody who disagrees with us, you idiot, you fool, you utterly contemptible and despisable human being, I want nothing to do with you. What brings us to the place where we're willing to say hurtful and harmful things to other people? What brings us to the place where we're willing to actually commit violence against those who see the world and live in the world differently than us? Could it be anger? Could it be that when Moses told his people not to murder, that that external expression of murder, of violence, of hurt and harm against other people is just a symptom, just a byproduct of something that's going on inside of us? Is it true that when we're ready to commit violence, when we're ready to say terrible things, that something has been going on inside of us long before we were willing to say something terrible or do something awful? Jesus is revealing that internal dynamic. Jesus says that there is a kind of escalating series of things that happens in us. It begins with anger. And after anger, it turns into contempt. And after contempt, it inevitably leads to violence. 
Jesus is entering the conversation about murder and saying, hey, listen, the problem is not just that we kill each other. You've all sort of figured out how not to kill each other, but you found a lot of creative ways to do harm that just fall short of that. How can we understand the deeper dynamic behind violence? So Jesus observes the truth behind the law. The law is thou shalt not murder, but Jesus reveals to us that there are many steps before that going on inside of our hearts, inside of our minds that bring us to that place. And he offers us a better way. Instead of just abstaining from murder, which is good. Don't get me wrong. Right before this, Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. No, 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 no. Don't murder. Trust me. But maybe. Before it even gets to that, right? First, be reconciled to your brother or sister. Jesus says, be reconciled to each other before you worship. He says, repairing your relationships with somebody who you have contention with is more important than worship. Jesus says, if you're on your way to court, if somebody is suing you, it is in your best interest to work it out before you get to court. This doesn't mean that if you don't work it out with your accuser before you get to court, that you're going to hell. It's just really good advice. It's the voice of wisdom. Jesus enters into this dialogue represented in this scripture. We find this throughout scripture, by the way. There are six antitheses of Jesus here. He says, you might have heard this, but I say that. Thesis, antithesis. You might have heard people say that you shouldn't murder, but I say, examine your anger. Why are you experiencing contempt for other human beings? Why are you hurting them in a wide variety of ways? You might have heard that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I say everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with him in his heart. It's another example. Jesus is not saying that if you have lustful thoughts, it's just the same as adultery. Jesus is saying, hey, abstain from adultery. That's good. But before it even gets to that, maybe deal with what's going on inside of you. Be free of your bondage to those feelings. He goes on. In this way, Jesus is engaged in a kind of dialogue with the other authors of Scripture. And we see this throughout Scripture, by the way. There's no better example of this than in the book of Job, Many of you are familiar with the book of Job. Job is a righteous man, doesn't do anything wrong. In spite of that, his life falls apart because apparently the devil wants to play with his life and see if he can actually get Job to do something terrible. God inexplicably says, yeah, let's go ahead and give that a try. Job's entire life falls apart. His whole family is murdered. And then he engages in this debate, this dialogue with these three friends of his. And these three friends are saying, you must have done something wrong. Terrible things don't happen to good people. And there's just chapter after chapter of intense, beautiful poetry that represents this debate, this ongoing dialogue between Job and his friends. That is a picture of Scripture. All of Scripture is like that. In fact, in Job, we find that an editor came along later and inserted his perspective because he didn't like what was in the book. 
Job chapter 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37. These are all later editions. Job and his three friends are arguing, and the editor is so frustrated, so utterly exasperated by the argument that these three people are making that as he is editing the book of Job, he inserts his own chapters to say, hey, listen, here's the real deal. Now, we know this because the style and the form of poetry and the language and even the name of this particular interlocutor, Elihu, is a kind of satirical take on the entire debate. The point is, those chapters, 32 to 37, aren't excluded because they were added later. They prove that Scripture is a kind of rich dialogue and discourse and debate between people who see the world differently. We benefit from those perspectives when we read them, when we understand their disagreements, when we see that they approach these things differently. We can decide for ourselves, who do I agree with here? Where is wisdom being produced in this debate between these authors? And it's not just in the book of Job. The whole book of Job itself could be a kind of refutation of the book of Proverbs. Have you read Proverbs? Basically, Proverbs says this, if you get up every day and you work hard and you tell the truth and you're honest, then you will be healthy and wealthy your whole life. Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but I've tried that. It doesn't work. Some of the hardest working people I know are the poorest people I know. Some of the richest people I know, most of them work hard too. The point, of course, is the whole message of the book of Proverbs is don't be lazy, get out of bed, work hard, be honest. And listen, that's good advice. It's good advice. But along comes Job and says, hey, listen. Sometimes terrible things happen to very good people. And then along comes Ecclesiastes, which says sometimes really great things happen to really terrible people. Which of these three is true? All of them are true. And we need all of them. We need this rich dialogue and debate represented by Scripture in order to live lives of honest and true faith. Christianity is, at its heart, not a monologue of judgment from God to you. Christianity is, following Judaism, at its heart, a tradition of dialogue and discourse between people who are asking the biggest questions of life. What does it mean to be good and right and true? What do we mean by the word God? And what or who is God? How do we learn from this God how to be truly human? And how do we know? How do we know any of it is true? How do we know if we are aligned with that goodness, with that God? These are hard questions with no clear, concrete answers. We learn that from Scripture when we read it honestly and openly, and we engage in that debate. And you are all invited to join it. 
When Jesus engages in a, a kind of thesis, antithesis pattern in his teaching, he is implicitly inviting you to enter into that dialogue. Because there's still a synthesis needed. Jesus doesn't provide that. He just opens the door for us to enter into that tradition with him. To ask ourselves these big questions, to ask them together, to dialogue and debate about them together, to bring our observations, to bring our experiences, to learn from each other. That's what we find in this book, and we live it out every day when we live as people of faith. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this opportunity for us to gather around these words, and we pray that as we continue to engage, that you would inspire us and open our hearts. That you would create a safe space here where we can hear and read and process the words of Scripture in a way that grows us and changes us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.